Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and I'm Matt's older brother, and I am most decidedly decided, unlike Matt, who is sitting with me here. Say hello, Matthew. Not knowing what he's doing. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Before we get into the episode, just a quick reminder, we have ways to support the podcast that includes subscribing to it. You can do that through your favorite podcast provider or through YouTube. And you can also visit stilltbd.fm. There's a link there that allows you to support us directly. We appreciate all forms of support, whether it's subscribing, helping support it directly, or just telling your friends about it. All those things do really help us. Today, we're going to be talking about Matt's most recent episode, Are Sterling Engines the Future of Renewable Energy Storage? which does not roll off the tongue as easily as I had hoped it would. Sometimes (laughs) these titles, the first time they're coming out of my mouth is as I'm saying it now. So (laughs) I should probably work on that and practice a little bit before we get into the episodes. Did a little warm up routine. Warm up. Be standing in the shower in the morning. Our Sterling engines, our Sterling engines, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, (laughs) yellow leather. (laughs) This episode was from March 16th. 2021. Before we get into that directly, I wanted to make a quick response to Bill Busser, who responded to our last episode of the podcast. He picked up on our ongoing discussion of WandaVision, saying, I'm having a hard time getting through the first episode of WandaVision, working on pushing through it. Bill, having just gotten through, I think I'm through episode five keep pushing. Yes. This, I think at this point I can safely say that while the first episode does not feel at all like a Marvel story, by the time you get to where I am, it feels completely like a Marvel story. It really starts to hit on L cylinders. And I don't know. It feels a little bit to me like if in episode four of Star Wars, there had been 45 minutes showing Luke working the farm. <laughs> but you need it. You actually you do might need have this. gotten. Yes. In this, you need it. Yeah. In Star Wars, you wouldn't have. But the comparison yeah. is this. If there had been 45 minutes of Luke working on the farm, you would have viscerally felt Luke's need to get off of that farm (laughs) and get to an adventure and the excitement of what would follow would have felt extremely, extremely moving for you as a viewer. It would have been a labor to get through that 45 minutes, but the payoff would have been tremendous. And I think that they've taken that approach here, giving you a full episode of this is what is happening for these people right now. And the rest of it is divergent from that and pushes past that in very dramatic ways. And I think it's it's really uh, tightly written and well done. And the acting in it is is really tremendous. Everybody involved is is fantastic. And if you want a good laugh, uh, Google Paul Bettany Vision into Google, and you'll find some images that were released from the shooting of the series where they basically CGI his ears out of the show. And there are images of him in full like makeup and he's got little dots on his face to help the CGI 
you know, placement and all that, but he's in makeup. So he looks like vision, except he has two very pale human ears sticking out on either side of his head. <laughs> I found that amusing. So now into the episode about Sterling engines, this is one of Matt's episodes where we hop into the Wayback machine and yep. we zoom into the past and there's people with handlebar mustaches and they've got these steam driven contraptions that have <laughs> little <laughs> wheels and little pistons and, and things are going to pocket, to pocket, to pocket, to pocket, to pocket. And people wearing what looked like suits and one guy in the back with a sledgehammer and blue overalls. And, and well, that seems to be about as fast as she runs now. And what does it do? We don't know. <laughs> and we go back in time with Matt and he takes these things and brings them forward to the future and shows them to us and says, you know what? They use these in submarines now. <laughs> yes. So Matt, my first, um, my first question to you is when did you first cross paths with the Sterling engine? When did you first hear about it, read about it, see it? Uh, a few years ago, the, uh, I saw a, a Bill Nye video where he, um, was walking through a Sterling engine and how it worked. And it, that was the one that made me go, you gotta be kidding. This is, this is crazy. And that's when I decided to like start digging into it and figure out, like, find out if like, is this being used in anything today? And it was like, there's not many places that are using it. And I was like, could this be used in renewable energy? And that's when I like looked into that and stumbled upon Azaleo and all these other companies that are doing interesting things with it. It was kind of, it was a fun rabbit hole that I went down. Yeah. And as I was going down that rabbit hole, I was like, this could make a really fun video. That was yeah. the first thing that popped in my head. One of the things you pointed out in your video and it, it takes a little bit of time to wrap your head around some of the details of how it's actually working. It's not like a combustion engine where you have fuel being burned and pressure created and pistons firing as a result. So it's all one direction. This is literally heat difference. Heat differentials yes. are yes. driving the, the mechanism and you show it sits on the teacup. It, whirls away it moves to the ice it whirls away and it's all about magic so yeah. in conclusion magic <laughs> yes what will be the it's solution for your future energy needs magic magic it is one of those things that when you look at it you're like this shouldn't be working how, yeah. how is this how is how is it doing this yes and like i said it goes you go back to the gentlemen with handlebar mustaches and the women with the parasol standing in a warehouse somewhere watching this thing firing away. And, and the, the people with the handlebar mustaches and the parasols were all like, Oh yeah, we know how this works. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, we walk around with little computers in our pockets. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I earlier today, I uh, got into a conversation with my girlfriend. We were talking about, we're taking a, a trip upstate a little bit later uh, in a couple of weeks and it's, and it's a weekend getaway um, Airbnb thing just to get out of the city. And we're going to be going near the town that you and I grew up in as kids. We're going to be going near oh, Ileana, yeah. New York. And I just kind of went through a little like rabbit hole in my mind. And it was just like, thinking about the house you and I grew up in. And so I Googled it and I found it on Zillow and 
was looking through pictures that were of the house, not only of the house, but inside the house. And it wasn't until I was done looking at the pictures and going through memory lane and seeing images of like, there was one shot from what would have been my bedroom door looking toward your bedroom door and just oh, yeah. having all of these just memories just like swirling in my Flood head. Back. And yeah. then I, I shut down my phone and I looked at my girlfriend and I said, it just now occurs to me. I have no idea how I was able to see inside somebody's house. <laughs> And what I think must be happening is Zillow as a real estate site is probably in the user agreement saying you give us the right to use the photos that you upload in perpetuity and they yeah. just hold them. And everything on the page for Zillow was here's our estimate of what this house is now worth. Here's yeah. information that's public buying records of how much it sold for most recently. And then here's 38 photos from the interior. Yeah. And so I'm looking at these old photos that are probably four or five years old, but it really hit me that like, I don't even know how I had access to this. Yeah. Meanwhile, if you were to show me a Sterling engine, my response is, well, that's magic. Yeah. So <laughs> I've got a phone that allows me to look into my childhood <laughs> home without <laughs> knowing exactly how I'm doing that. And there's a machine that can run equally on ice water or tea. <laughs> One of my questions was you, I don't recall in the video, does the machine run in reverse when you put it on the ice water? Does the heat differential yes. cause a reversal? Yes. Okay. So there could be something in the mechanism that would allow you to switch a gear to allow it to run in the same direction, no matter what the heat differential was. You'd have to well, build that into the system. You you probably wouldn't do that for the way that this is getting used because it's usually used to capture kind of waste heat from mm -hmm. things. So like if you have a natural gas furnace in some kind of factory, you could install a Stirling engine as part of that. So you're ge you're generating the heat that you need to do whatever you need to do. But then there's this waste heat. Instead of the waste heat just going away, it's running a Stirling engine to generate additional electricity. So it's it's just making better use of like you know, like the American Indians eating every part of the buffalo. It's like in using every part of the buffalo, it's like that's kind of what it's doing. It's don't waste potential energy sources and heat sources. Sterling engines allow you to tap into that. Right. I was thinking in terms of for like a car. Being, yeah. <laughs> yeah it being like, used, you could technically used, do that. Yes. Yeah. It being used, it's it's used Gears. in in submarines, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um it really as far as installation costs, depending on the size of the machine that you'd be looking at, you'd be, you'd be comparing, like if you were this, to compare this to some of the other things you've shown in more recent videos like geothermal or um, I'm thinking of like compressed air, stuff like that. Would this be something that would be in, of comparable cost is there even that option for people are there companies installing these in the way that there are companies trying to produce those other options or does it not you mean yet for like, exist do you mean for home for home or commercial for for anybody is there are there companies out there that are saying like let us install a sterling engine in your in your factory uh yeah there are companies that do that for commercial installations of different things but i didn't see a, a lick of that for home installations because 
the cost efficiency and all that kind of stuff probably isn't there for that kind of situation and nobody's done it because there doesn't seem to be a market for it um but for factories and power plants and things like that there is a small market out there for this kind of technology azaleo is one of those companies doing this they make sterling engines that are used for thermal energy storage systems for like thermal solar which is one of the things i brought up in the video where it's they use mirrors to concentrate sunlight on a specific thing which is usually like molten salt so they like superheat this you, you usually see it, it's like all these mirrors pointing at a giant pillar in the sky <laughs> and the, the top of the pillar is like blinding white it's like they're basically superheating basically molten salt and then capturing that heat to then you know generate a engine of some mm -hmm. kind it could be steam power it could be using sterling engine sterling engines whatever it's but it's thermal thermal power it's like that's where sterling engines typically are used today um so this was the first instance i've seen of creating some kind of energy storage device like basically a glorified battery um it's like right. that's the first time i've seen of it when i was doing all my research would this have just by its nature more moving parts than some of those other options i don't i don't know if it would have more uh but that is one of the i don't know downsides of sterling engines is there's lots of moving parts so m things that are mechanical and move require maintenance and you know a battery system has no moving parts so it's just it can it takes less maintenance to keep it running uh, but Sterling engines do take care because <laughs> right. there's things spinning at very fast speeds. Yeah. I'm just thinking it, it's right in the name. It's an engine. So it's, yes. it is doing something. Yeah. Um, and I'm reminded of the, uh, remind me of the name of the technology that you talked about previously, where it's, it's the large, just the energy of a spinning, the flywheel. Yeah. The flywheel. That's what it was. Yeah. Is there any overlap here between this and a flywheel? I mean, you could use this to get a flywheel moving, but correct. Yeah. Is there any overlap that they're both old technologies? I wonder if there was ever anybody who was just trying to combine the two in some way that would provide you with, like you said, a battery effectively. Yeah. You'd have I differential driving yeah. the engine, which could then get the flywheel going, which is then storing the energy. Right. I, I didn't see anything like that because the way the flywheel works is it's using basically an electric motor to get it going. And that same motor is then used to capture the kinetic energy as it's, as the thing slows down. Okay. So I don't think you would be using something like a Stirling engine to spin a flywheel up because you still need the electric motor. So it's like you'd be, you'd be using a Stirling engine to generate electricity to make the electric motor spin and make the flywheel go. You wouldn't be using the actual physical Stirling engine motor to spin right. a flywheel. That reminds me of this ad I've seen on YouTube a number of times. And the reason I'm getting targeted with this ad is probably because of your channel. <laughs> but it's an ad which is promoting alternatives to combustion engines. And mm -hmm. in the dialogue over the images of, of all these rvs and stuff like that it's basically a, a announcement along the lines of there is a new deal between this major camper producer and this vacationing rv lifestyle company to produce more environmentally friendly products 
and they say including electric alternative vehicles and electric alternative generators. And it's the second one that made me scratch my head because a generator makes electricity. So to have an electric alternative generator would be using electricity instead of combustion to create electricity. And that's where they lost me. (laughs) It was, it was a moment where I was like, somebody wrote some copy and didn't run it past anybody Uh because what they're saying is doesn't make any sense. You've got a generator. You want an electric alternative that so you can make electricity. Wait, what? (laughs) Yes. Anyway, they're basically describing a battery at that point. Yes. I wanted to go into some of the comments on your video. Of which there were many. There were many. One of my favorites was from Corey Taylor. Corey wrote, quote, you couldn't live with your failure. And where did that bring you? Back to me. The Sterling engine. So... (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Corey. I also thought this was interesting. Caleb Haugen wrote, Sterling engines are also being used for power generation in landfills across the United States. The methane produced in landfills is not blended for uniform power density. Thus, it cannot be used in internal combustion engines without damaging the engine with energy spikes. External combustion engines like the Sterling engine are the answer here. There would be no problem with burning that methane with energy spikes because it's all about the heat differential it's not about actual driving of the engine itself correct yep that's that's really interesting yeah i had no idea that was even going on i didn't that didn't come across that in my research but that's fascinating david dewis wrote i've got one of those models like the one you played in the video i love it drives my girlfriend mad I love the sound. She doesn't. I often use it just to keep my tea warm. (laughs) I love the comment, David, but I got to give you a warning. If your girlfriend hates the sound, don't play with it too often. (laughs) You also received a lot of thumbs up from people who were simply saying, this is the first explanation of a Sterling engine that made sense to me. So I think that's a good sign. They, They clearly did not see the Bill Nye the science guy video because he even made it simpler than the way I described it. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was really fun. It, it's Bill Nye. You gotta like the guy. You do. There's also the story that I, you refer to it being used in submarines in passing. Mm-hmm. I went into a little more research on that because I thought that that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that the Gotland class sub, which is from Sweden, uses a Sterling engine. The heat differential between the interior of the sub and the seawater is what drives the, the energy creation. Which is kind of trippy. Yeah, which is <laughs> trippy. And of course, you're never going to run out of that heat differential. The the ocean water is always going to be colder than what's going on inside. They have batteries, which drive some of the energy use, but the Sterling engine is heavily involved. And because the Sterling engine is so quiet, the submarine is considered one of the most silent in the world. Um, All the equipment 
Apparently inside the interior of the sub is built with everything on large rubber casters bolted into the, the, the hull so that any vibration is absorbed by the rubber. So you end up with a very quiet running submarine and in war games, it successfully, uh, sinks its enemies, including us aircraft, the USS enterprise and the USS Ronald Reagan. Um, and the concern there was a, in the article I read in 2004, the United States was basically testing its ability to detect high quality submarines. And they made an agreement with the Swedish Navy to borrow the, the Gotland and brought it to San Diego to do war games with it. And the results were the U S Navy was not pleased with the results because they discovered <laughs> a really well run silent sub could in fact outclass their top warships. And so there, there was major concern there. I think that's, fantastic not from a <laughs> not from a war games point of view US but from an engineering point of view it's, fa it's yeah. fascinating yeah and yeah, again this, it goes back to this this um very old technology just being used in a way and i couldn't help but think like leave it to the swedish to say <laughs> like here's something very old and we'll put it in the submarine and if they sold it to ikea it'd be the quiet um <laughs> So oh, I just, geez. I just thought that that was a really, I thought that was a really neat story. And I could just imagine this sub, uh, I could, I couldn't help but wonder like, what's it like on the interior subs half the crews have periods of time where they're trained on, on like performing quietly, making sure that they're not putting sounds that could reverberate through the hull. But for something that has this kind of technology driving it, it would really, give you a sense of the old and the new being married together in a really unique way. Well, the, th the thing about it to me that strikes me is like, it's, it's the brilliance of good engineering. It's like the whole first principles thinking approach. It's like, if you go back to the space race and you've got Americans trying to build the perfect pen that can write in zero gravity and they're spending all this time to design this pen and come up with methods that can still push the ink out no matter what's going on. And then the, the Russians are like, here's a pencil. That's like, bingo. How much money did we spend on R and D of this stupid pen when all you had to do was a stupid pencil. So it's, it's one of those, just go back to what, what worked for that situation. And it's like, you can totally see like between the Soviet Union and the United States building the submarines that are nuclear powered and they're getting all this crazy technology and the Swedish are like, how can we make this the quietest thing? What's a, what's a quiet engine? Well, this Sterling engine might work. <laughs> it's like, okay. it's just such a clever idea to go to this old technology because it fits a current need. Right. It's just, I love that aspect of just, it feels like a first principles approach to solve a problem they were trying to solve for. And it worked exceedingly well, as you pointed out, because it's very, very quiet. <laughs> Before we transition to the second half of our show, I, I will just respond to that story, which is one that our listeners have probably heard talking about yeah. the pen being developed. It's a little bit of folklore. Uh, it's a little bit of folklore. And I actually heard a response from, I forget which astronaut it was, but there was an astronaut who responded directly to it. And I want to say it was either Buzz Aldrin or Glenn. Mm -hmm. 
But one of them responded to say the thing that gets left out was the reason they wanted to develop that pen was because graphite powder in space, which could float anywhere, yeah. it was concerned. There were concerns that the graphite could actually get into some of the hardware and could conceivably cause a problem, a malfunction. So yeah. it is, there is the first principles issue that you're talking about, like, oh yeah, you use a pencil, but then there is also the larger issue of there was a safety concern. So yes, yes. And that's why I won't put a, a flywheel in my submarine. That's why I'm not doing it. <laughs> or Sterling engine either, neither of them. <laughs> Moving on to the second half of our show, where we talk a little bit about the pop culture stuff that we are chewing on as usual. I'm going to flip a coin. Matt, the coin's in the air. Quick, call it. Heads. You're right. You get to go first. Okay. Well, I'm going to start mine off with a doozy this week. The big, hotly anticipated Zack Snyder's Justice League. <laughs> it please, came out this Please this no spoilers. <laughs> I will not give anything away. No spoilers whatsoever. My opinion of the DC movies is they're complete and utter garbage. I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't like them. They're not good. Uh, they basically destroyed my child, childhood with the Superman movies, making him this big whiny baby that doesn't have any kind of care for other people on the planet because he's so wrapped up in his own problems. It's like, that's not Superman. We're supposed to aspire to be Superman. He's supposed to be the best of us. And in Zack Snyder's universe, he was not until close to the end of that run. Uh, getting off my soapbox. Uh, the, I saw Batman versus Superman and Justice League in the theater and was not impressed. <laughs> it was just, uh, Justice League was kind of a hot mess and it was kind of a hot mess because Zack Snyder had to step away from the movie because of uh, the death of his family. Um, and his wife, who is a producer, they stepped away and Joss Whedon came in and finished it up. And there was this whole tumult, you know, around the movie of them bringing in Joss Whedon and they got cold feet for what Zack Snyder was doing with the storyline and just kind of rewrote everything and did whole bunch of reshoots. And it was a kind of a bastardized version of it was it was not good for anybody. It like because it wasn't thought out well from the beginning, it was like because they got cold feet, it didn't have a cohesive vision like what Zack was going for. But it didn't they weren't able to completely correct it because they were so far into it already. So it's like it it was like a doing what they did. They ended up making a far worse movie. It's two hours long. The original cut. This one's four hours. long. It's excessive. But I, I was not looking forward to this. I gotta be honest, but I was just curious. I had to watch it because I was like, OK, everybody was like, well, what's the Zack Snyder cut? It would have been so much better. It's like, well, would it have been better? Well, now we can actually see what his vision was. And uh, it was better, not by a small margin. It was better by a tremendous margin. And it made me angry that the Warner Brothers did what they did to the original thing. That's not to say that this would have been the one we ended up with because it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have been a four hour film. It still would have been a two hour film. And it still probably would have been a kind of a hot mess because they would have been doing too much shortcuts to cram stuff in because at that time, DC was trying to fast forward to catch up to Marvel where Marvel had spent a decade telling storylines for each of these characters. So by the time you got to the Avengers, it was a cohesive whole and you took your time getting there. They were trying to fast forward to that Avengers moment. And so they were taking shorthands with not just one character, but multiple characters at the same time. And so it was too much that you, to cram into one film. So it was it was going to be overstuffed at two hours, even if it was Zach's cut. 
But looking at this four hour film, uh, I highly recommend if you like superhero films, you like Marvel movies, watch the film. It's not I would I would say it's not at the caliber of the best Marvel movies, but it's at a caliber where it stands side by side with, I would say, the good average Marvel movies. It's it's definitely worth watching. Flash's storyline is far more compelling. He's no longer just a bit character doing stupid, stupid jokes. Um, he actually has a storyline that's interesting. And you can see that they were setting up a standalone Flash movie. Because uh, there's hints of like, oh, I bet that would have been the plot. I bet that's going to be the thing that would have been in his film. Uh, this is a cyborg origin story. Um, his story doesn't kick off right from the beginning of the film, but it like he is the heart of the film um where in the one that was recent theaters man they basically excised him almost completely from that film it was a it was a joke um yeah the actor had a lot of issues with joss whedon yeah it was was, there's been stuff that's been coming out about joss whedon in the past few years around his treatment of women uh and his involved his the way he treated certain actors on on some of his sets um and and that actor in particular was one who was just like this. He he was abusive. So it's um yeah, yeah. Problem. It's a shame. Yeah, because his performance is really good. <laughs> it's like really good. Um, there's far more of the Aquaman under the sea stuff that was hinting at more of like that world, the Atlantis under the sea, than there was in the original one. Uh, Aquaman himself is a little more brooding than this kind of in the original one he's very chaotic and just i don't want to say surfer bro but he's like this just woo kind of thing in the in the joss whedon version in this one he's a little more brooding um which i think was more appropriate for the character honestly the way it was being told superman the way he's brought back in this film and like his role in it is the tone is very different but i think it's actually better um I won't say if it's, I, I won't, I don't want to give any spoilers, but it was, it was, it was definitely, uh, I liked how they handled all of the characters, every character, Wonder Woman, everybody got a good dose of screen time and, uh, character development and threads that all interwove with each other. And you got to see them come together as a team, figure out how to work together as a team and you get the classic, you know, like hero shots where there's like they're all in formation charging together. And it's like, okay, that's the panel out of the comic book. There you go. There's yeah. the cover. Yeah. Um, the my one complaint is about Zack Snyder is I think he's an overrated director. He tends to lean too much onto his visual crutch of doing things where it's like focus on the damn story. It's like it's the characters, it's character development first, visuals come second. He tends to invert that a lot. There is an excessive amount of slow motion slow motion in this film like yeah he, i can't he t- never met a I scene lost- that he didn't wish was four times as long yeah. exactly there yeah. were so many clips of aquaman walking slowly on the pier with waves crashing up around him and dramatic <laughs> music and then like batman slow motion looking at the camera it's like god stop just stop normal time please cut a little faster get to the next scene and it could maybe be i don't know three hours and 15 minutes not four hours long but I still think the whole thing holds together really well. It did not feel like four hours. I was not planning on watching it in one night. I watched it in one 
damn night because they break it up into i think it's six or seven parts and they're chapter markers when you're watching it so you could watch part one take a break watch part two and three take a break right. the way they've done it it's really nice the way they've done that i watched the first part uh then watched the first part again with my wife to see if she was gonna be interested in watching it which she was not <laughs> so then when <laughs> i she she left the room and then i ended up just watching parts two through the end um till like 1 30 in the morning it was a very stupid choice on my part i probably should have not done it one setting but it i i really liked it so um that's justice league the second thing i want to bring up is then the next day i watched a movie on netflix it's a korean film called space sweepers uh this uh, is on my to watch list and i was hoping to get to it soon you must watch this movie it is where i really enjoy justice league i really did space sweepers was just like this is the one of the best movies i've seen in the past few months it was so much fun i love science fiction i love uh cowboy bebop kept coming into my head again and again and again and again as i was watching this film i was like this is like a live action cowboy bebop this is amazing mm -hmm. the humor was fun the acting is tremendous the world they built it reminded very me very much of uh, the fifth element mm -hmm. where that world that they built in fifth element is so fleshed out and so just it's so unique and quirky and but it's like everything holds together you can tell they thought about like how this world works what why is it like this what what why would that be like that why is this like this they thought of everything the art direction it's like space sweepers same thing every single thing about like well why would they be doing this oh well there's five reasons why that's done that way why does this thing exist oh it's because of this it's like you can totally see that it feels like a lived in universe I want to see Space Seepers 2, 3, 4. This movie was so much. It's just fun. It was just a fun, fun, fun film. It's not perfect. It has some parts where I was like, oh, really? That was kind of the, the cheap choice. But okay, fine. I'll forgive you because I've been having so much damn fun. Watch Space Sweepers. It's just two hours of just joy. It's just a good time. Yeah, that movie looks you mentioned cowboy bebop i'm i'm a huge cowboy bebop fan i'm really looking forward to the live action version which is being made it is being made uh with john cho as spike i think yeah perfect that's casting. a perfect casting <laughs> um yeah when i when i heard that it was it was really kind of a have a seat and take a deep breath moment yeah um but space sweepers was one that i saw a trailer of and was immediately like this is on my list i have to watch this so i'm looking forward to that um i want to talk about two things real quick and then i want to circle back to to matt's take on the dc universe in film um won't say that my girlfriend and i are in a dark place but we've been watching a lot of dark things <laughs> yes you have uh in the ongoing Polly Platt filmography watch that people may remember we are doing as a result of the podcast about Polly Platt revealing her role in helping create some of our favorite movies from the 80s and into the 90s, we moved on to the next movie on the list, which was War of the Roses, which is directed by Dan DeVito and stars Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas. And it is the story of the breakup of a marriage it is a dark comedy and emphasis on dark it is mm -hmm. a capital d-a-r-k dark comedy it holds up amazingly well i think it's better now than it was when it came out it was a little ahead of its time 
its tone didn't quite fit with the era that it was made in. I remember seeing it. It was made in 1989. That was the year I graduated from high school. I remember seeing it in the theater with our parents. Matt and I used to see a lot of movies with our parents um, that were, in some cases, for a lot of our friends, would we, we saw movies that our friends wouldn't have seen, period. Yep. Yep. But we went and saw things with our parents because our parents were big film buffs. And, and that was one of the, the big uh, central pillars of our, of our family life. And so I remember seeing this with our parents and I remember walking out of the theater and I liked it. I remember dad was definitely like, that was awful. It was so dark. It had, there was no hope. It had such a dark vision of marriage and seeing it now, the last time I saw it was that viewing. So Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it um, since I was 18 and seeing it now it doesn't say anything different, but it all rings differently, maybe in me, but also because of the era. I think at the time that it was made in the late 80s, I think culturally there may have been more of the Ronald Reagan era of family and marriage and stability is what America is founded on. Mm-hmm. And I feel like some of that has been chipped away and there's a different tone. And I think that as a result, this acerbic vision of marriage in the form of there's the ideal of what a marriage is and there's the work that take it takes to get to there. But if you peel that away and you look at how people can be selfish and treat one another, from a selfish place. This movie is very honest in looking at those drives. And it's also, there is hope in the movie because one of the elements of the story that I think dad maybe didn't pick up on was that Dane DeVito, who plays a character within the movie, he is the character who learns a lesson from the darker storyline the people involved in the darkest storyline, neither of them is effectively the hero. Dane DeVito's character is effectively the hero because he's the one who's taken those lessons and is now turning and saying to other people, think about how you treat your spouse. Think about how you wish to be treated and how you wish to treat them and be honest in your reckoning. And I think that there, I think the movie hits a lot of notes that in the late eighties would have been very counterculture but now are just part of the ongoing dialogue of what does it mean to be kind? What does it mean to be an equal partner? The movie is largely about inequality. It is, if there is a side that the movie takes or should take, it should be on Kathleen Turner's side because Mm -hmm. the selfishness for Michael Douglas's character is, is atrocious. Um, But it's, it's a dark movie. So depending where you are, Mentally, maybe not the best time to watch yeah. a movie like that. And speaking of dark movies. Uh-oh. Another one? We, wa- we, we watched The Lighthouse. Oh, God. With Will <laughs> with Willem Dafoe that and looks Robert Pattinson. so depressing. That movie looks so depressing. It is, if you've seen The Witch, and if you liked The Witch, 
I strongly recommend The Lighthouse. Same director who wrote it with, I believe it's his brother. And it is, it works beautifully on a number of different levels. One, which is the literal story of what if two people were working in isolation for an extended period of time in very harsh conditions and they didn't get along in a personal at a personal level, how would that devolve? What, would, what could that do? So it works on that level. It works on the Lovecraftian horror level of one person who's the, the one who's being kept out of a secret. He doesn't know what that secret is. And the more he wishes to peek in on that secret, the darker the things he sees. And so it works on that level. And it also works from the perspective of a Greek tragedy. It is uh, a Promethean tale of character archetypes who are symbols. And as you watch the movie and you start to decipher what do those symbols mean? What does the symbol of the lighthouse mean? What is the island? What is the ocean? Who are these people? What is the work? What do these symbols represent? It works in that way as well. So it's one of those movies that aspires to do a lot of different things. And I think it does all of them really, really well. It is definitely an art house film. It's, it's filmed in black and white. It's letterboxed on the sides. So it narrows the screen into a square. Mm -hmm. So you feel right from the beginning that you're watching something out of another time. Right at the very beginning, I felt like I was watching something that was meant to be a silent film. It's that level of acting as well. A lot of gnashing of teeth, a lot of fists in the air, shaken at dark clouds, that sort of over-the-top silent movie that would have been right out of theater acting, done with black and white imagery and in a stark landscape that is... The cinematography is astounding. Some of the moments, if you could just freeze them, they they would make beautiful paintings the kinds of paintings that you see if you take a trip to maine and you see you go into a little shop and they've got paintings on the wall that all look like waves crashing against stones with a lighthouse in the distance like it's full of that and it's also full of two performances that are either one of which would be in my mind oscar worthy and it's two of them and they both are working with um they're both using accents that are spot on they're both referring to a world beyond where the lighthouse is located that feels visceral and real because the acting is so focused and so grounded a movie like There Will Be Blood, where you see a whole host of characters or gangs of New York, where an entire era of New York City is recreated, and you feel like you are seeing a vast cross-section of humanity. This is distilled the other direction. Two people on a rock with a lighthouse. And yet you <laughs> feel like you are watching people who are in the 1800s. You feel like you are, you feel like you are there in that era. Right. So it is top to bottom, a movie I do recommend, but it is dark and it is strange and it is not for everybody. So, um, my recommendation is 
to suggest if you like that kind of thing. And again, I refer to the witch, same director. Um, I really like him as a director and I'm looking forward to his next project. I, I find it funny how my two recommendations are one, just kind of a bombastic superhero film and then a crazy, just fun sci-fi flick. And then you're like, Mr. Dark Depressing Man. The one thing I would tie this back to the Justice League, a question about Zack Snyder. I don't understand why he's fascinated with this. Here's a movie that was re-edited and put together specifically for online streaming to people's homes. And it's in a basically a four by three or 1.33 to one ratio. So it has huge black bars on the sides because that's the IMAX movie ratio. This movie's not going to IMAX theaters. Zach, Zach, this is in my living room. Why, why are you doing this in this ratio? Evidently, he's fascinated by just the aspect ratio and the, the full frame look. It's like, I, after watching it, I, it didn't impact the artistic side of the film to me. <laughs> where what you described, they made that choice, black and white, this kind of framework, it puts you in a different headspace and it has this artistic impact from the creativity. Zach did nothing for me, buddy. I don't know why he did it. So when you go to watch it, just keep that in mind that you might have this big, beautiful LCD screen and you're going to be watching a superhero movie in a square format on your gigantic television set. It's really weird. So okay. that's just keep that in mind. Yeah. The thing I wanted to circle back on with um, the justice league and the DC universe I, I'm not putting any money on it. It's, it's, you know, I'm not buying DC stock the way I bought Marvel stock. Um, but I do have some hope that they've learned a lot of lessons from the failures of movies like Batman, Superman and justice league. And hopefully, you know, from like the stumbling of the last Wonder Woman movie won't derail things too much, but they have a, they have a legitimate plan and they historically have done, I think it's around 10% or 15% of the overall money making that Marvel has done. Marvel mm -hmm. has just made money that it's just like they're, they've got a, a printing press in their office and they're just making money. And DC has made a fraction of that but they do have a plan now and they are incorporating in the same way that Marvel has Disney to be able to through the Disney app to be able to feed their shows. They have shows in the works. It'll be through HBO max and there's going to be a multi-tiered universe basically that they're creating. And I am looking forward to certain things like down the road, they are planning on doing a crisis on infinite earths storyline, which will in a certain way, marry all the different versions of DC films and television into one thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that I think could be really cool. There's already been word that Michael Keaton will be involved as will um, Ben Affleck, both as different universes, Batman. So the fact that they now have a plan, I think speaks well of the future yeah. in it. Um, because like you said, what they were trying to do was play catch up just by running as fast as they possibly could. And that wasn't ever going to work. So, no. So our listeners should let us know what they think. Have any of you checked out the Zyder Snyder cut 
the Zyder Cut. Have any of you checked out the Snyder Cut or have you checked out the Lighthouse? Let us know what you think. Is it time for superheroes or like me, are you somehow happier sitting in a little muddy hole staring at the dirt? I'm not depressed. You're depressed. (laughs) You can reach out to us through our contact information, which you'll find in the podcast description. You can find it on YouTube as well in the description below this video. Please do subscribe. Once again, you can do that through your favorite podcast provider, or you can do it on YouTube. If you do it on YouTube, you get to see our smiling faces. We were both smiling there (laughs) for our listeners who are on podcast devices. We're both incredibly handsome. We do have a way to directly support the podcast. That's through still tbd.fm. You'll see the support the podcast link right there. You can throw some pennies in the jar. We greatly appreciate it. We also greatly appreciate any sort of support, whether it's simply liking this video, subscribing to the podcast, leaving a review or rating and sharing this with your friends. All those things really do help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew helps me dig my muddy hole. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>